hope you enjoy this message from St. Martin C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. Many of us will remember the events of March 15, 2019. Well, especially if you lived in Christchurch. On that day, 51 people lost their lives to a dreadful terrorist attack in our city. Now at that time and since then, the government has reflected on that incident and thought about what they can do to prevent that ever happening again. One of the things they quickly initiated after that attack was a change to our gun laws. And now they are suggesting that we institute hate speech laws to better protect uh, citizens in New Zealand. Uh, Chris Farfoy, who's the current Minister of Justice, in the introduction that he has to these proposed hate speech laws, says this. The government wants to foster greater social cohesion in Aotearoa, so that it is a place where everyone feels that they belong. An important part of this is standing against conduct and language that harms people. Aotearoa is made stronger because of our diversity. Experience of hatred can make people feel unsafe and unwelcome in the places that they should feel at home in. They can also lead to further discrimination and violence. The government considers speech that incites hatred to be a threat to equality, diversity, respect and fairness. The incitement of hatred against a group based on shared characteristics such as ethnicity, religion or sexuality is an attack on our values of inclusiveness and diversity. Such incitement is intolerable and has no place in our society. So let's consider today our response to that as Christians. What is the biblical response to statements like that in the hate speech laws that are being proposed before Parliament at the moment. Now on the surface, there doesn't seem to be anything wrong with what is being proposed. Surely God doesn't want a society where we are inciting hatred or violence towards anyone. Like, God doesn't want that, we don't want that, Christians don't want that, New Zealand doesn't want that. So if these laws are focused on the perpetrators of that sort of crime and only that sort of crime, then we would be very supportive of that. No one wants terrorist acts in our nation. However, it does raise the wider issue of how free we are as New Zealand citizens and as Christians for that matter, to express our views in our own country. See, we may not intend our speech to be hate speech, but what if it is interpreted as hate speech? The two concerns that many have identified in the proposed laws are how do we define the term hate? Like, what does that word actually mean? And secondly, who determines when someone is speaking hate? Is it, you know, is it the police? Is it the law enforcement? Do we dob people in when we hear hate speech? Like, what does that look like? And 
what hate may mean to me or what hate speech may mean to me may be something completely different to someone else. So it's it's good in theory, but how do we actually uh, execute this? How do we uh, empower our police and our justice system to make a law that is actually protecting our society while at the same time allowing for free speech? Like, let me give you a couple of examples to work through this. Under the proposed law changes, could anyone be prosecuted for denying a core belief or doctrine in any religion and potentially causing offence? Like, if we say we disagree with another religion and what they believe, or that we affirm this in our particular religion, is that considered hate speech? Or could it be a crime for someone to say, you know, that God condemns sexual expression outside of a traditional marriage relationship? That is a core Christian belief, yet is that hate speech because other people don't agree with that statement? Could it be, could we as Christians be prosecuted for saying that hell is a real place? And those who sin are destined to go there. Is that considered too hateful, too judgmental on people around us, even though it's a core truth of the gospel message? Chris Farfoy, the Minister of Justice, and Jacinda Ardern, our Prime Minister, have given assurances that that sort of freedom will still be in place, that we will still be able to have expressions of um, speech and freedom of speech on those things. But they've been very vague on the details around that and how those freedoms of speech will be protected. So at the moment, where it's at is that the submissions for feedback on hate speech laws have closed. However, many Christian leaders and a lot of people that are strong proponents of free speech in New Zealand have expressed their desire to clarify um, these laws and make sure that the government considers all the implications of it. So I think the the government has all that it now needs to consider on this issue. The question now is what will they decide? And over the next couple of months they will be in committee and discussing um, how these laws will be enacted and what they will look like. And I think the important thing for us to do as Christians is to pray. Pray that as they make those deliberations that God's wisdom will prevail. That we'll get the balance right. Where police will be empowered to act quickly and swiftly on those who are possibly going to commit acts of terror before they do. And yet still allow freedom of um, speech and expression in our country. So, an important question we need to consider as Christians in the wider uh, issue here is not just around free speech, but how do we as Christians present the gospel? How do we maintain our values and our beliefs of, the, of our Christian faith in a society that is increasingly opposed to some of those core beliefs? Now, fortunately, we're not in a, well, we are in a position where we can learn from the past and 
people who have been Christians and have held a strong faith in God in the midst of persecution. And one of the examples that we're going to look at today is in Acts chapter 26. So you can turn to your Bibles now, Acts chapter 26. In this chapter, we have an example of where Paul, who's taking a strong stand for what he believes and what he knows to be true, in the midst of potential persecution, where Jews have opposed his message, and he has uh, asked to present his case before the Roman judges. And so he's now doing that, and he keeps getting passed from one to another until eventually he goes to Rome and presents his case to Caesar. But on the way, he presents first of all to the governor Festus, and now, as we'll read in this chapter, to King Agrippa. So let's pick up the story in Acts chapter 26, verse 1. It says this in the NIV. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defence. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defence against all the accusations of the Jews. And especially so, be, especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Now notice that Paul is respectfully addressing Agrippa. He is appreciating the opportunity to speak. He, there's, a, there's a freedom of expression that he appreciates. And Paul goes on to explain that he was the type of person that persecuted others. He was a devout Jew by birth and grew up in a strong Christian home, uh, sorry, strong Jewish home that valued Jewish customs and thought. And when he saw the message of Christ and the gospel, he opposed it violently. And so we pick it up in verse 9. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from synagogue, one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of those journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, I was on the road. I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, where are you, Lord? Or, uh, sorry, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and what you will see. And so Paul goes on to explain how he was obedient to that message, that revelation that God had given him, the truth that he now understood to be real and the way to think about life and the way to think about God. And so he now preaches that around the world to both Jews 
and Gentiles. And as he's presenting this, uh, Festus interrupts. We pick up the story in verse 24. At this point, Governor Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice, because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time, you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long time. I pray, that, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. The king rose and with him the governor Bernice and those sitting with them. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, this man is, is doing, has not done anything that deserves death. Or imprisonment. Now, let's dig into this passage and look at not only what Paul says, but the how he approaches the discussion when he's under trial. One of the first things that we see is that God revealed to Paul that it was wrong to persecute people who think differently to you. It's just wrong to do that. It's not helpful, it's wrong, it's not going to achieve anything. Christians are not in the majority in New Zealand. So it is unlikely that we are going to be in the position as Christians to persecute anyone. However, if you look back through history, we have a pretty bad track record of this. Uh, soon after the time of Paul, Many Christians were persecuted for their faith. Many Christians died for their faith because it didn't line up to what society believed around them. And it was seen to be a controversial message. But within a few short centuries, everything changed. The, the empire at the time, the Roman Empire, became a Christian empire. And then they began to persecute those who weren't Christians. And we now look back on that history with, you know, grievance and despair that that is part of our, our Christian history. And let it never be that way again. It really didn't achieve the ends to which they thought it would. It is not helpful to judge and criticise and condemn or even persecute those who think differently than we do. It's not helpful to make scathing remarks. It's much better to focus on the issue at hand and not the person who's discussing the issue. Let's, let's take at the moment a, a, a controversial issue uh, that you may be on one side of the fence or another on this particular one. Let's take vaccination. Yeah, we're going to go there. So... There are some people that I've talked to, even in St Martin C3, who are strongly for everyone being vaccinated. And they have very good arguments 
for why that is the case and why God would want everyone in New Zealand to be vaccinated. There are others that I have talked to in the church who are strongly opposed to vaccination. Now, I think that is a healthy discussion to have. Let's bring on the debate. Let's focus on the issue um, of, of, of the pros the, and the cons, the merits of getting vaccinated, not getting vaccinated, what it will do for our country, what it won't do for our country. That's healthy. Nothing wrong with that. That's all good. What's really unhelpful in a debate like this, though, is when people start making generalizations and judgments about the others. For example, you know, the pro-vaccinators looking at those who are opposed to vaccines and going, oh, they're a bunch of conspiracy theorists or, or whatever. You know, I've heard that said, but it's, it's really not that helpful because as soon as you do that, the, the person holding the opposite point of view feels attacked and they withdraw and they get defensive and then they throw things at you. Ah, oh, you're just a puppet of the government or whatever, you know. Okay, you know, it, but in doing so and throwing all these jibes and judgments and condemnations against each other, we're not actually focusing on the issue and what's true and what's helpful in the situation. So don't judge, don't persecute, don't attack, don't generalize um, the person or, or put them in a box or um, slander a whole group of people. Rather, focus on the issue at hand. So that's the first thing that um, stood out for me in this passage. The second thing is this, is that one of the most obvious things in this passage is that the gospel is by far the most important message. And it trumps any other discussion. Really, all these other discussions that we may have, and this won't be the only one that we'll encounter in the years to come, as the government seeks to change laws and policies, as they do, and as that affects our lives. There will be various things that come up that we need to address, but they're not the most important issue. Even for Paul, who was faced, his life was under threat, he takes the opportunity to go, well, now that I'm standing before you and I've got the opportunity to present the gospel, here goes. You need to know who Jesus is and what he's done for you and the consequences of your choice to follow him or not to follow him. And we know that Paul, it, it hits home with Festus and with Agrippa because they react to that. They go, mate, are you insane? What are you trying to do here make us Christians? And yes, people will react when we present the gospel to them. But we're called to preach the gospel. We can't not preach the gospel. The gospel is what we're called to preach. It's our message. It's the message that will transform lives. And so let's use the opportunities we have when we have these sort of discussions to go, well, hang on a minute, there's, there's all these things and there's different opinions on this, but... Have we got our lives right with Christ? That's the important issue. In 1 Peter 2, verse 15, it says this, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. See, 
in presenting the gospel, actually in presenting anything. Christians need to get this balance right between bringing the truth of what God has revealed, and primarily that is the gospel message, and do it in a compelling and convincing way, sure, but do it with gentleness and respect. Do it while we're listening to the person and considering their point of view and and working out how to bring the truth of the gospel to them. Now, sure, the gospel has an edge to it. Uh, in discussions that I've had with many people and uh, presenting the gospel to them over the years, and inevitably comes up, you know, the the issue of, well, that, does that mean that I'm going to hell because I'm a sinner? And I go, yeah, it does. But even that, the, 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 the sharpest edge of the gospel can be presented with grace. You, you can approach someone and go, you know, with a judgmental spirit and go, well, yeah, obviously you're going to hell because you're a sinner. Or you can come with grace and say, hey, look, I've discovered this myself, that like Paul did, hey, I'm the worst of sinners. I, I was the one on the wrong. I'm, I'm under God's judgment just like you are. But in being under that judgment, I've found salvation in Christ, and you can too. It's putting yourself in the same situation, getting that balance of grace and truth just right. The third thing that stands out for me in this passage is that Paul appreciated the climate of free speech that he had. He was able to stand before the authorities of his day and present the gospel. And he values that. He Right from verse 1 we say, hey, I, where Paul says, hey, I appreciate the opportunity to present this today. The gospel of Christ spread quickly through the then known world because of the relative freedom that existed under Roman control. Because of the, the value of free speech that was present at the time. Now that has been in society from then up to now, and we have to be really careful to preserve that. Having a society where we are able to present the gospel clearly and in a compelling way, and where people are free to choose whether they follow the gospel or not, and make a choice as to whether they follow Jesus or not, is a value that we need to hold on to and protect. And if that is under question or under any doubt with these uh, hate speech laws, then we have to express that, we have to find our voice. We have to be aware of what could potentially happen here. Because everyone should have the right to choose what they believe. Now they may believe something different to us, but the important thing is that everyone should have the opportunity and free speech should be a foundation to us as a society. So where do we go with all of this? How do we, how do we piece this all together and take action? Well, one of the first things that you can do is be aware of new laws that are coming out. When you hear them presented on the news, do some research. There is plenty online to find out about it. And as you Google things, as you um, read the different uh, arguments for and against, you'll be guided by God as to some insights of what God 
God's truth um, says on those matters. And as you think that through, as you discuss it with other Christians, make submissions. You know, uh, don't hold back. The, we live in a society where we are able to make submissions to the government. So take the opportunity and do that. Secondly, what we see here is as you are discussing issues like this and other issues with those around you, use the opportunity to present the gospel. Use the opportunity to present the truth of what Christ has revealed and his perspective on these issues. And that may be an inroad to present the gospel to someone else. And as you do so, remember, don't attack. Don't come with a judgmental attitude. Don't come with a condemning attitude of those who disagree with you. Let the truth speak for the, itself. Let the truth impact people's lives. As we see here with Paul, King Agrippa and Governor Festus were challenged by what Paul says. Paul didn't need to drive the point home. He just allowed the truth to stand for itself and allow the Holy Spirit and Christ to continue working in their hearts. But here's probably the most important thing that we can do. We can pray. We can pray for ourselves that God will work on our heart so that we will respond appropriately to issues like this that come up. That God will prepare our hearts to present the gospel clearly and, 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 and with grace to uh, those around us. And we can also pray that God leads our government to establish laws that will aid the spread of the kingdom of God in our nation and not hinder it. So I'm wondering if you can join with me and do that now. Let's, let's start today. Let's start practicing that prayerful response today. Let's pray. Lord God, there have been times where... Um, We've probably been too judgmental. We've been too condemning of people around us or groups around us that disagree with what we believe. God, forgive us of that arrogance and help us to present your truth in a compelling, convincing way, but with grace, with respect, with gentleness. Lord, guide us in those conversations. Prepare us for those conversations. Lord, we pray for opportunities to present the truth of who you are and your perspective on these issues to those around us. Like you gave Paul this amazing opportunity, Lord, I pray that you would give us amazing opportunities. And Lord, I pray that you give us insights. Lord, insights as to what is going on in our community, what is going on in our, our government, and how we are to best respond as you were to those situations. And today we also pray as a church community. We pray for our government. Lord, we thank you for them. We thank you for the freedoms that we currently enjoy as a nation. 
And Lord, we pray that those freedoms would continue. Lord, particularly the freedom of speech. And Lord, we pray that the government gets the balance of this law right. Where the police will be able to prosecute uh, people who are inciting hatred and terror. They'll be able to act quickly on what they say before they put those words into action. But Lord, we pray that these laws wouldn't go so far that it would actually stifle and hinder free speech and healthy dialogue and debate on key issues as a nation. And Lord, we pray particularly that the church would be free to spread your kingdom in our communities, in our city and across this nation. Lord, we pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. Mm. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.